Will this be the federal election in Canada that sees the environment take center stage? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. Here at the cafe, we aim to bring you guests and issues for discussion and debate. The Unpublished Cafe it's part of the unpublished media suite of websites created to inform and educate Canadians on current affairs and political issues. Each podcast delves into a different issue in a nonpartisan way so listeners and viewers can share their informed opinions with Canadians and their local MPs through unpublishedottawa.com and unpublished.vote. The upcoming federal election will be a focus for us to bring you a balanced view of the parties and their policies. Last fall, a dire warning for the world from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The report's bottom line was not whether we can keep global temperatures from rising by more than one degree Celsius, because at this point it concludes that cannot stop. The aim is now to keep any increase below 1.5. But even that comes with a massive $54 trillion impact on world economies, according to Moody's. We've all seen and heard the plights of those impacted by severe climate change events. Increased wildfires, droughts, violent storms, massive flooding. Perhaps it's those visuals that have thrust climate change and the environment into the national conscience. On the Unpublished Cafe today, we'll hear from two parties about their climate change platform. Joining us later will be Joanne Roberts, Deputy Leader of the Green Party. As well, we look forward to hearing from Alexandre Boulouris, environment critic and deputy leader of the NDP. In upcoming podcasts, we'll hear from the Liberals and the Conservatives about their platforms. First, let's take a look at the broad picture on how Canadians view climate change. I'm pleased to be joined by David Coletto, founding partner and CEO of Abacus Data. David, has climate change become a key issue for Canadians? It has. I think uh, it's been it's been on people's mind for for a number of years now. But I, our our research is showing that over the past year and a half, uh, more and more Canadians are are certainly aware of it, but also increasingly concerned about it. Um, we see it rising on a number of of questions we ask: whether people are worried, whether they're concerned, whether it's going to impact their vote as a top issue. All of those things uh, we see a an increasing number. Um, who who say that and and so I think it is um, it's growing. It's not universal though, and that I think is is why it's become a very much a political issue. In that not all Canadians agree on either whether we should do anything about it first of all, and then what we should actually do as well. Why do you think uh, the issue of climate change is gaining traction? Well, I think there's a few reasons. One is um, you know conversations about it. You know, someone who studies public opinion, we have to keep in mind that the public is largely responding to what they're hearing out there. And, and those in, you know, the media, commentators, political leaders um, are, are really important in, in raising issues, what we call like getting, getting the issue becoming more salient with people. So, you know, a lot of Canadians have for years, I mean, decades, I remember in high school talking about you know, the Rio conference and Kyoto conferences, um, that was like 25 years ago. So for a long time, we've been talking about this issue, but I think more recently it's become far more acute in terms of the, the volume of commentary, the volume of conversations. And that I think has also been sparked by a sense that, that the weather events around us, whether it's forest fires, uh, flooding, um, you know, more intense um, hurricanes and storms, all of these things I think are, are are raising people's sort of antennas to say, I knew this was an issue. I knew this was something that, that was changing our world, but there seems to be, uh, it seems to be speeding up and the urgency and the impact of it 
um, is starting to affect me, or I can imagine it's starting to affect me personally. And that's when it becomes emotional and it, it, it rises on people's uh, level of concerns compared to other issues. David Coletto is joining us in the Unpublished Cafe. He's the CEO of Abacus Data. As we talk about the climate change in Canada uh, being a key issue in the upcoming federal election, in terms of demographics, which Canadians uh, are most concerned with climate change? Well, I think overall, we actually don't see much variation uh, in, in overall recognition of the issue. In terms or of de- whether, uh, yeah, no, in terms of demographics. So, yeah. you know, we don't see much difference in, in overall awareness, whether you're younger or older. I think there's, a, there's broad recognition that it's happening, that you believe being caused by human impacts. But we do see among younger Canadians a particular, I think, intensity around views, right? They are more likely than older Canadians to say they want government to be more ambitious in dealing with this with this issue. They are more likely to to, to, to be, you know, really concerned, not just about the short-term impacts, but thinking longer term as, as the younger generation you'd expect because they're going to be here and living on, on, on this planet longer. And so we do see some demographics. Women also more concerned uh, about this than you generally than men, um, which I think is is indicative of a feeling and, and thinking about, again, not to say that men generally don't care if they have children you know, what future they're going to leave their children. But we know from other issues that, that men are more likely to think about economic issues or economic impact. And women are more likely to think about this issue as a safety and security issue. And, and, and so those are the two big demographic change, uh, differences that we see. Now, regionally, um, there is some uh, sharper divides, right? If you live in Quebec, um, you're the most likely to think climate change is a problem that you have to do something about it. If you live in Alberta, you're the least likely. And I think that has to do a lot, not with that Albertans don't necessarily recognize or believe climate change is happening. It's that their economy is, is largely tied to an industry that would have to transition away or shut down if we're, in their mind, really going to have to do something about it. And so it's hard, I think, for Albertans to admit that it's a real problem, because if you do so, um, you also would probably have to admit that we have to you know, scale down the, the oil and gas sector. So if climate change is going to be a a major issue in this coming election, and we talk about men being more uh, leaning towards economic issues and and women obviously more supportive of climate change, is the party that's going to win on climate change the one who's going to be able to convince men there's an economic economic gain to uh, dealing with climate change? I don't think it's it's that simple, actually, because while men are less likely to be worried about it or, or their, their level of intensity, there's still a sizable number of men who do. So it's not a you know it's not a perfect relationship. It's not black or white. I think the way to think about this issue as it relates to the election is, you know, can you win an election in a climate where this issue is increasingly a key concern? And how, as a political party, do you navigate? the complexity of this issue, right? And, and the nuance and how the public views it. Uh, what I've learned in, in doing research on this subject for the, for the past few years is while Canadians are increasingly concerned about it, there's, they don't, they don't quite, or not all of them quite understand how to deal with it, or there's no consensus on what the best way to do it, or whether we as Canadians have a responsibility given what's going on around the world and, and you know, China and India and the United States' impact on climate emissions versus even here at home, whether 
simple debate, it's not simple actually, but about a, about a controversial debate about whether a carbon price or a carbon tax is better policy than regulations or um, setting hard targets versus soft targets. These are, these are all policy choices that most, most Canadians don't, don't quite grasp or understand. And so it becomes political in the rhetoric and the, the intentions that political leaders show about this issue. So, you know, when we ask Canadians, do you think, for example, Andrew Scheer, the Conservative Party leader, believes climate change is real and it's, it's something we have to do, um, make serious efforts to, to stop? Um, most Canadians either don't believe that, that he believes that, or they're not sure, right? Um, there's less, there's less uh, uncertainty about where Justin Trudeau stands on this issue or Elizabeth May or even Jagmeet Singh. And so even if the policy is there, you're... The way our political leaders talk about this issue, how often they talk about this issue, is a reflection of how much they care about it. And and I think it, we're, at, we're still at a stage where, while an increasing number of Canadians care about climate change, it's not quite yet a consensus issue. Not everybody believes we should be doing something and doing something significant about it. And so that creates um, room for different different perspectives and 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 uh, variations on how the parties talk about this issue and whether they talk about it at all. Do parties run a risk going into this election by not having a comprehensive climate change platform? Um, I'm not sure yet. Um, there's still a, a large enough group of Canadians, um, 40% or so, who tell us in our surveys that they're only a little bit or you know, not that concerned about climate change. Um, the majority is clearly concerned and in that intense and that the intensity of their concern is growing. But given our political system, there is a path for a political party to um, not have or be seen to have the most effective, most ambitious uh, or even a serious plan. Right. I think, you know, depending on who you ask, they would say the conservative plan is either good enough or not good enough. Um, environmentalists would say it, it really doesn't work. And, and those in certain industries would say it's, it's, it's an effective, efficient way to, to deal with this issue. But there's a sizable group of Canadians who say climate change is not even on my agenda. It's not going to drive my vote at all. And I think the Conservatives are speaking to it. For those that are concerned about climate change, and you look at how our political system is sort of right now and how people are planning to vote, there's a clear majority of Canadians who want government to do something about it, want ambitious action on it, but they have more than one choice. Um, and so there's a good likelihood that we, uh, come October, could get a government that reflects the views of a minority of Canadians on an issue that increasingly people are seeing as existential. And, and I think that's a reflection of our political system and our electoral system and less on the views of the public. So I don't know yet. I think you can win without being seen as serious on it. But there's still time uh, before now in the election about whether that actually becomes a defining issue for how people judge a party and a leader's worthiness to be leading the country or not. It will be uh, interesting to follow. David, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks. David Coletto is the CEO of Abacus Data, who helped us get a look at the broad picture of climate change as we head into the next federal election. Here on the Unpublished Cafe, we're looking at each party's climate change platform. The federal New Democrats have taken the wraps off their plan, which touts the creation of 300,000 new jobs with a focus on clean energy. And to find out more, I'm pleased to be joined by Alexandre Boulerice, Deputy Leader and the Environment Critic for the NDP. And Alexandre, thank you for joining us. 
My pleasure. No problem. Your party has called this an environment and climate emergency. Is this the defining issue for the NDP in this coming election? Yeah, it's clearly one of the defining issues for us uh, uh, NDPers. Uh, it's also, uh, let's say that we also talk about uh, uh, fiscal injustice and, and affordability for, for workers and families. But uh, climate emergency is uh, definitely the challenge of our generation. And I think that we cannot miss uh, the, 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 to, to, to uh, be able to uh, reduce our emissions of greenhouse gas emissions because, uh, you know, our children and grandchildren will judge us uh, as leaders if we've been, uh, been able to, uh, to tackle this task or not. Now, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, the party's looking at reducing them by, by 50 percent, are they not? Yes, uh, our target is, is more ambition and bold than the Paris Agreement. Uh, <clears throat> right now, the, uh, the Liberals are not able to meet the, the targets of the Conservatives, of the Harper Conservatives uh, right now. And uh, every year, the uh, Environment Ministry uh, showing a report in December that we are falling behind and, and more and more year after year. So the the liberal plan is clearly not working. Uh, they have been dragging their feet, and uh, and we have an approach to it, the, uh, the NDP that will uh, include every part of our uh, our economy to be able to make an effort to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. We're talking, of course, about energy, but also about transport and and uh, construction and buildings and retrofit. A lot of things. Our our plan is really ambitious. Uh, and also include workers and and um, the training of uh, of the workforce in that country to be able to uh, to facilitate and to uh, to be able to uh, do that transition that is most uh, needed. Alexandre Boulouris is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He's deputy leader and the environment critic for the New Democrats as we take a look at climate change as an issue in the upcoming federal election. And Alexandre, the NDP would cancel Trans Mountain. Yes. This is a really bad investment. Uh, this is something that is uh, com- totally uh, in contradiction with uh, the, the discourse and uh, the, the speeches of Madame McKenna or Mr. Trudeau, uh, saying that, yes, yeah, we are the, the guys pro for the environment, and at the same time buying, buying a pipeline that will triple the production for uh, those uh, 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 that this crude oil of, uh, of Trans Mountain, you know, from 300,000 to 900,000 barrels per day, this is the equivalent. This is uh, what will be the pollution of, of 3 million uh, more cars on our roads per year. Uh, this is to- something that is totally, you know, not, not in phase with what the science is asking for us and what we should do as a, as a country. It's also a bad investment for uh, as a fiscal and economic reasons. Uh, Kinder Morgan, they, they tried to, so, to sell that pipeline to private sector. Nobody wants it because it's too risky. And so the liberals of uh, the Trudeau's liberals decided to take public money, our money, to buy that, that pipeline. And after that, we, uh, we will be stuck with it. And uh, we are quite sure that in 20, 25 years, when the, the global demand for uh, oil in the world will decline, the first oil that will be rejected by the markets will be the, the oil that is the most costly to produce, and this is exactly tar sands. 
And this is exactly that kind of, of oil. So it, it's something that in 20, 30 years, nobody will want anymore. The Liberals say that they bought Transmount to protect jobs. Does this mean the NDP was is against those jobs? No, we, we, we are really the party that can uh, balance uh, our, our climate responsibility with the respect of workers and community. But we really think that if you look at this, uh, at this uh, investment, $4.5 billion to, to buy the pipeline and $9.7 billion for the expansion, it's almost $15 billion. We can do a lot of job creation with $15 billion. But in, in, new, in the new economy, the economy of today and tomorrow, in renewable energy, and the potential of Alberta in renewable energy like solar and, and, and windmills is great. Uh, and, and I think, and we think at the NDP, this is something we should uh, invest in and be able to support the communities, make the transition, train the workers, and be able to create new jobs. Because those jobs right now will not be there in 20 or 30 years. So we have to look forward, we have to, to look to the future and be able to invest in the jobs that will will be there in 30, 30 years. And that's, that's not the case with the Liberal plan. Climate change is our focus on the unpublished cafe as we're joined by Alexandre Boulouris, Deputy Leader and Environment Critic for the NDP, as we talk about the NDP climate change platform. And we've, we've talked about uh, jobs, job creation, 300,000 new jobs the NDP say will uh, come from their climate change plan. How do you come to that number? Uh, it's, a, it's a number that's will, that is coming from, uh, like I was saying, uh, different investment and and. Uh, um, things we want to, to change in regulation. Uh, like, it, we have a, a great plan about uh, retrofit in housing, and uh, it, this this thing will create a lot of jobs in construction. You know, if a family wants to change his roof, windows, doors, etc., cetera, uh, there will be a federal subsidy to, to help them to have the, uh, the loan to, to, to invest in their house and be able to, uh, to reduce their electricity and, and uh, uh, heating costs. And uh, this is one of uh, the examples. We also want to invest in electric cars. And electric cars are uh, built and made in Canada. Um, so we will keep what the Liberals have put on the table already, but we will, uh, we will add uh, you know, a reduction of uh, GST. If you, if you buy an electric car or zero emission car that is built in Canada, so it's good for the consumer, it's good for the environment, and it's also an incentive for the uh, automobile industry in Canada to build more uh, zero-emission cars that will be able on the market and, and consumer will, be, uh, will have benefit from, from that. So this are those different things, uh, and we will invest in public transit a lot, $6.5 in, in four years. Uh, that will also uh, create jobs for all uh, everybody that will uh, work on, on subways and, and, and buses uh, everywhere in Canada. And this is something that will uh, answer the needs of a lot of, uh, of communities, urban and rural. Now, you mentioned uh, incentives for the creation of electric vehicles. A lot of people in this country sometimes call that corporate welfare. Yeah, sometimes I think uh, the government is, is there to, uh, uh, to, to be able to... Uh, oriented the market uh, to be uh, to make sure that there's an acceleration in the fact in the, the way that people are, are consuming and producing we are far behind in Canada if we look at the 
the, the automobile market, we only have one or two percent of, of uh, new cars every year that are uh, zero emission cars or electric cars. And if you look at P, uh, countries like Norway, they are already at 40 percent. So uh, this is something, you know, if we want to act, uh, government has his, his role and we are not there to, um, to give companies uh, rebates, but we are there to uh, influence the market and help the consumer to make other choices that will be beneficial for uh, climate uh, change and also for the pocket of the uh, of the consumer. You know, when we look at uh, a way of getting away from gas and oil production in Canada, uh, obviously the other direction is clean energy. And what's the NDP NDP plan for boosting clean energy? Um, we we will have some. Uh, First, we will stop uh, every uh, oil and gas subsidies. So it's a, it's a billions of dollars per year, and we'll invest that public money into renewable energy. We also will create uh, a climate bank, a climate bank that will be able to uh, to to offer loans or uh, uh, gar- lo- guarantee loans to uh, initiatives from public companies or communities or citizens in projects that will uh, be uh, on uh, clean energy or renewable energy. Those, uh, that climate uh, bank or green bank is something that already exists in some uh, states in the United States, in Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont. And this is a model that we, uh, we adopted because we see that it helps uh, small or medium projects that uh, really reduce uh, greenhouse gas emission and help people to uh, to be able to start a project uh, about renewable energy and it work. So this is something we don't have already in in Canada and something that uh, we have in our in our plan. It's a three billion dollar uh, climate bank that uh, NDP government will uh, will put on the table and that money will be there to help uh, people and and citizens and communities that uh, have maybe a project of. Uh, 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 geothermic energy or uh, uh, windmills, etc., solar p- panels, and the uh, federal government will be a partner uh, to help them to be able to uh, to uh, go forward with their project. Alexandre, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure, and uh, enjoy your cafe. Alexander Bolleris, Deputy Leader and Environment Critic for the NDP. The Green Party platform for dealing with climate change is called Mission Possible, the Green Climate Action Plan. It's a 20-point plan that boosts greenhouse gas reduction more than any party in Canada, as well as transitioning toward a clean energy economy. To find out more about the plan, I am pleased to be joined by Joanne Roberts, Deputy Leader of the Green Party. And Joanne, how much are you hearing at the door about climate change policy? You know, it's interesting. I I am hearing about climate change policy, but I have to admit it's not usually the first thing people bring up. What they do say, and, you know, I did run in 2015, so I think I can fairly compare the two elections. Um, In 2015, people were, oh, you're the Greens. Um, You know, you're about the environment and climate. And then they were either wanted to talk to you or they didn't. This time round, we're going to the, oh, you're the Greens. Yeah, it's really important. We have more Greens this election. Now, what can you tell me about health care? It's almost as if they accept, ah, you're the party that will take on climate change. But now let's see what else you have to offer. Why do you think there's been a transition? I think people, and I'm going to give credit to, you know, the kids on the climate strike, to Extinction Rebellion, that 
the public awareness of the emergency nature of this issue has changed dramatically. Is there a more important issue for this election? I don't think there is. Uh, I, I really don't think there is. Um, I have a 32-year-old daughter who has decided to run in this election as well. And to be honest, and you know, I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but I tried to talk her out of it. I said, you know, it's hard to run and you've got a full-time job and you're still young. You can run in the next election is what I said to her. And she said, Mom, we may not have another election where we can attack this issue. And she caught me up short because she's right. If we are going to seriously take action, we start with this election. And I think everyone agrees that while there are lots of things we can do individually and there are things we can do at all orders of government, we need political action to reach the kind of change we need. Joanne Roberts is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. She's the deputy leader of the Green Party of Canada as we talk about climate change policy of all the parties coming up in this uh, federal election. And let's talk about the plan for the Green Party. I think quite a few Canadians would find it surprising that the Greens are not necessarily in favor of turning off Canada's oil taps. Why is that? Well, you know, I think we're a realistic party and we realize that while we are going to see a decline or we'd like to see a decline in the use of fossil fuels, we still have many areas of our country and of uh, the way we live that still uses fossil fuels. So we're saying let's make sure we are not expanding uh, the oil and gas industry. Let's make sure we are making a just transition uh, to getting away, away from our sort of reliance on fossil fuels. But in the meantime, uh, let's make the best use of what we produce in this country. And uh, so we have a couple of, of uh, industries right now that are looking at providing for what we call upgrading. So upgrading the quality of what comes out of our uh, oil sands. And we're supporting that, which surprises people. But we're saying that's not part of expansion. And I think where it confuses people is when they think, oh, you want to use more oil and gas. No, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. If you read the plan, you see that, you know, we're moving strongly and quickly away from oil and gas. But in the meantime, we are supporting um, the industry that is there and working with that industry to produce the cleanest product possible. Now, in terms of uh, supporting that industry, you talk about ending oil imports. Now, is there any price for Canada to pay in terms of cancelling contracts with other oil-producing nations? Absolutely, there is. Uh, and I think that would be unrealistic to say that there isn't. Um, the biggest area where we would be replacing foreign oil with uh, domestic oil would be in Atlantic Canada. Um, the Irving Oil Refinery uses Saudi oil. So our proposal is that we look at using Hibernia oil, so off Newfoundland, and shipping it to um, to the Irving Refinery. Now, that will mean, I mean, Hibernia has um, contracts with other countries, and the Irvings have contracts with the Saudis. So it won't happen overnight, and it will come at a cost. That cost is still being worked on, but we think look at the positives. We're using gas from our own or using a product from our own country. Uh, it certainly has to travel a lot uh, shorter distance, and uh, we're not bringing um, oil and gas from Saudi Arabia when we can be bringing it from Newfoundland. So some people have looked at that and said, oh, you're, you're going to have to have a pipeline. No, we don't need another pipeline. We don't need new infrastructure to do that. What we will need to look at is the cost and over what period of time we do that. Now, is there any support for refining Canadian oil in, in Western Canada as opposed to a, a pipeline? 
Well, this is what the upgraders would do. Uh, they would increase our capacity to take Canadian oil that, and upgrading it where it's actually, uh, you know, being extracted. But don't take that as an example of we need to expand. We're just saying that at this point, when you look at the bitumen that's coming out of the ground, uh, we all know bitumen's a very difficult product in a lot of ways. Uh, so we're looking at how do we then make use of it, that that is currently being uh, produced there, without having to put it through a pipeline. Now, the Green Party is looking at uh, electricity and modernizing the east-west electricity grid. And in terms of climate change, how does that help? Well, we're, we're seeing many of our, uh, you know, for example, if you're phasing out coal, coal which produces electricity, you have to replace the electricity. I mean, you also want to retrofit and reduce the electrical needs, but we know we're going to need more and more electricity in this period of transition. So by upgrading our east-west grid, then we have uh, electricity that is being produced in our country with clean energy, primarily with hydro, coming to parts of the country that need it, that don't have the ability to create uh, their own clean energy right now. Um, I'd like to think that we're going to start to see more and more ways of creating clean energy, and that energy should be able to go back and forth within our country. Right now, the grid makes that somewhat difficult because it's limited. Um, we're also you know, sending a lot of our electrical energy down to the United States. I mean, you probably heard the Premier of New Brunswick say, you know, he could use Quebec's electrical energy to uh, replace much of the coal in that province. But he said he won't take Quebec's energy till he gets a pipeline. Uh, I mean, that kind of ridiculous argument needs to be gone. And having a grid that would make it effective would allow that to happen. So there's a lot of discussion, for example, here in Nova Scotia, of being able to have a grid that we would import electrical energy right now, but we'd also be able to export it to places in the country that need it. And that's good economics. Now, when we talk about the uh, the electricity grid, does this not fall under province's jurisdiction? Would this not be the federal government moving in here? Well, I mean, I think we, we need one of the things that the Greens are talking about in our overall platform is bringing together what we call the Council of Canadian Governments, where all orders of government would be at the table. Because there are a number of these things uh, that would need agreement uh, between the federal government and the provinces. And there hasn't been enough of that cooperative effort. The other thing that um, is in our plan, and I think it's an important part of it, is having a climate cabinet where you would bring all parties together in a cabinet setting, much like we've done in a World War II cabinet, where they would put their partisan hats aside and they would work on these issues. Part of our problem with provinces is um, the government's change there and the political flavor of the government's change. And sometimes that gets in the way of doing what's best for the whole country. Uh, so I think if we had a climate cabinet and if we were creating a council of Canadian governments, we'd be able to work through some of these jurisdictional matters. It, you know, we built a railway and transportation is provincial. We have, we have looked at, um, healthcare accord and health is provincial. Like the federal government has worked with provinces to create national networks. And we can do that going forward. And we can do it on an issue of this level, which is facing all provinces with equal uh, alarm. So you would look at this as a nation building exercise then? 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, as part of the uh, as the, the Green Party uh, mission possible, national retrofitting uh, retrofitting of buildings. How would that roll out? Well, you know, we've had uh, provincial programs and federal programs in the past, and they've ended up being cut in um, austerity budgets. But this is providing incentives for uh, provinces to have funding to – to, to do the retrofitting. It also fits into job creation within the provinces. So I think what you do first is say, this is the activity we would like to have. Here's where the funding we're going to put in place. Um, and in many cases, you may be working with um, provincial programs that are already in place. There's one here in Nova Scotia, for example. So we would build the federal program in addition uh, to the provincial program. So it wouldn't be necessarily saying, well, we just have one program. And if you don't have one, if you do have one in your province, it'll disappear. It would be working with those. Joanne, I want to thank you for joining us. All right. It's been great talking to you. Joanne Roberts is the deputy leader of the Green Party. Here on the Unpublished Cafe, we aim to bring you a balanced look at issues and platforms. The federal election will be our focus as we look at policies. And on this episode, Climate change was our issue. You've heard from Joanne Roberts, Deputy Leader of the Green Party, as well as Alexandre Boulery, Deputy Leader and Environment Critic for the NDP, as well David Coletto of Abacus Data, breaking down the big picture on whether climate change will be a defining issue in the upcoming federal election. Our next podcast will look at the liberal and conservative climate change platforms. Thanks for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. <laughs>